Hello, and welcome to Public Key, the new podcast from Chainalysis. This is your host, Ian Andrews. Do you drive a recent model year car? If you do, then you're producing up to 25 terabytes of information a day. When I heard this, it made me wonder, where does all that data go? And can I get a look at it? The answer is, it goes back to your car's manufacturer. And in most cases, you don't have any rights to it at all. Today's guest is Alex Rawitz, one of the co-founders of Demo, and he's looking to change all of that. Demo's building an open network for car owners to collect and share vehicle telemetry, and that network is powered by cryptocurrency. You might be wondering, why do I care where the data from my car goes? But imagine if you could use it to get discounts on your car insurance or contribute your car's data to an autonomous driving project. This episode was fascinating for me because it has nothing and everything to do with crypto. And if you want to find out if your car can connect to Demo, head to the show notes and you'll find links to their website and apps. Today on the podcast, I've got a former colleague, good friend, Alex Rawitz, co-founder of Demo, joining us on the podcast. Alex, how you doing? I'm really excited to be here, Ian, and thank you for having me on. This conversation is what I've been waiting to do for a while, actually, since you left Chainalysis. I'm a big car guy. I'm constantly reading about all the things happening in the automotive industry. I think, you know, electrification obviously is a massive topic. I read every piece of news about companies like Tesla and Rivian. But I think one of the other big trends happening out there is the auto industry figuring out that, you know, cars don't roll off the assembly line and they're kind of done with them done and dusted. Over-the-air updates have become a pretty important thing. There's a ton of people who are looking at telemetry as part of the auto stack to improve things like congestion in in major cities, to improve safety, like self-driving. All this stuff is happening. And, you know, you've gone and started a company that I think sits at the intersection of a bunch of these trends. So maybe we can start off just a little background on how you, you ended up at Demo and the basic concept, and then we'll jump in from there. When I left Chainalysis about a year and a half ago, I actually had no idea this is where the journey would take me. I, I've been throughout my life at startups and I've worked at a startup accelerator. So I've always been in and around the entrepreneurial space, but I had, was approaching basically 10 years in that professional environment and hadn't started anything. And I left Chainalysis. I said, now's the time. I'm, I don't know what the idea is yet, but I'm going to go out there and find it. And I hacked on a few ideas of my own. I had just through my experience, a bunch of friends who were starting things or had ideas. And one of the people who had was at that stage in their life was a friend of mine, Andy, who I'd gone to college with. He had spent the last 10 years working in the transportation industry and most recently at TransDev, where he was sort of operating the Waymo project. And he and a, a technical co-founder were working on some consulting projects in the IoT space. And what they were thinking about and the ideas they were playing with was super interesting to me. So I linked up with them in about April last year, and we started the journey of getting to Demo today. There was a, a few months of hacking and happy to go into that, but um, it was really just about finding some incredibly smart people with actually diverse backgrounds, not necessarily in the same space that I'd been in, and joining forces. I think that story is uh, is so emblematic of, of so many founders' journey into crypto, where there's this moment of like, this space is so important. There's so many interesting things and smart people here. I've got to be a part of it. 
I don't necessarily always have like a well-formed up idea or it's not crystal clear where the, the end of the journey is, but getting on the journey is, is super important. So Demo's been alive for about a year then. What does it do? What are we talking about here? Yeah. And I'll fill this in with even a little bit more background. So at the time that I joined up with the, the other founders, we were working on a really a consulting project that a Automotive Industry Association that we had some connections to put on our plates. And their question to us was, how can we get some real world data on what's happening with electric vehicle batteries in the field? And they were particularly interested in this subject because this was around summer of last year. And at the time, there was a GM recall and a Hyundai recall of electric vehicles that together totaled almost $2 billion worth of cars. So there was a lot of interest in saying, what's going on at the cars here? What's happening in these batteries? And they, this industry association turned to us. Maybe we could help sort of produce a report, understand what's happening. So we set about trying to get our hands on some of that data. What's going on in these cars? Let's maybe they'll get some battery data and see what we can figure out. I should mention that we, you know, had worked with or my co-founders had worked with Connected Cars for years. So this was right in their wheelhouse. We went to vehicle data companies. There's a bunch of them out there, some of them publicly traded companies, and we tried to get some battery data. And they told us, sorry, we don't have it. We said, what, what do you mean? It's your whole business. Like you get the vehicle data and give it to others for analysis or apps. Like, why don't you have this data? And what we learned is that those companies are not the source of the data. They rely on getting the data by buying it from the automakers. And it was a huge light bulb moment for us because we realized the importance of being the source of the data. If you're not the source of the data, you don't know what you will have one day versus the next. And you don't even know what your source is going to be willing to provide to you. And right now, auto companies are keeping their most sensitive data, data about electric vehicle batteries or ADAS systems, the driver assistance systems, really the most cutting edge technologies, that data isn't leaving their silos. So the most interesting data out there in the vehicle world is really inaccessible to anyone who wants to try and work with it, study it, build applications on it. I actually had no idea. So for anybody listening that's got you know a relatively modern car, probably anything built in the last five, seven years, yep. it probably has some sort of connected car telemetry option. I know just bought my wife one of the new Wagoneers and it came with like a free trial for three months where I have an app on my phone. I can like check the oil life and the tire pressure and I can lock and unlock the car and start the engine. Just got an email actually this morning telling me the trial was about to expire and I need to spend $300 a year to keep yep. those features enabled, which good for uh, Jeep on the business model <laughs> side. I don't, I don't know I'm going to become a customer of that feature. But so you're saying that in addition to the, the simple data I can see in the app, there's actually more data being collected by the car manufacturers, but it's not broadly available. Like as a consumer, I can't get it. And these data aggregators or intermediaries in the smart connected car space have no access to it either. Yeah, that's right. So basically the car makers, when you sign up for that connected services trial, even, or if you were to become a subscriber in the terms of service, it says you're letting us collect all the data we can from your vehicle. And most of the automakers being not in the core business of doing data science, but in the core business of building cars, uh, basically shove that into a data lake and say, we'll get to it later. That stuff's valuable, right? <laughs> and you as a user, there's all this really rich data that could provide you a more informed and better connected vehicle experience that's probably not being actioned on at most people today. If they have one of those new car apps, probably don't love it, probably rarely use it and have the same sort of whatever opinion about it. 
And on the flip side, that data doesn't get out into the world to say improve. Oh, let's say, let's see what we can improve about this car. It stays internally and it's probably used for some, in some purposes for that, but no one else really gets access to it. Again, some of the data is shared and sold. And in some cases, maybe your data is being monetized by uh, your automaker and you're not seeing any of the return on that. I would imagine like the auto manufacturer's position on this somewhat like, hey, there's proprietary or competitive data in here. Like if I'm building a new electric car battery and I figured out a way to make my battery way more efficient and therefore either cheaper or longer range than a competitor, like I don't want that information to be public. So is there is that the reason why why there's this level of protection is like there's proprietary information in there or is there something else going on? It's probably mostly that, that there's a concern that certainly they don't want stuff getting out there. There's also, I think even more than that is just this mentality that the whole data is the new oil narrative that like one of these days we will figure out how to monetize that. (laughs) We'll figure out how that's going to become worth something. And again, the most common way is, well, we'll sell the data that we're not so worried about that we don't think is that we're willing to put out there, like maybe traffic patterns and, and simple telemetry. We'll sell that to one of these intermediaries. They'll pay us five bucks a car and at least we're getting something. So it's a very simplistic way to approach it. And in our view, as we were looking at this problem, we you know, think that especially with respect to these new technologies around battery health, around autonomous vehicle tech, and most cars these days are coming with at least something in the level two range, that data really should get out in the world. If we want to see these technologies accelerate in their adoption rate, if we want to see them improve faster, if we want users to have more confidence and trust in those features, that data should be more widely available. I'm totally in agreement with you, right? Nice. (laughs) You know, it seems like a pretty simple argument. Like we've seen, I think, a lot of headlines related to some of the self-driving car technology and is it safe or is it not safe? To me, it seems like an argument that could be very easily settled if we had broad access to the data. I would love self-driving tech to be robust and widely adopted. Like to me, that's the future we've got to get to. Like I love to drive when I'm not sitting in traffic. But the idea of commuting through a congested city is my worst nightmare when it comes to anything to do with automobiles. And so self-driving cars, just to solve that problem, is highly appealing to me, but not if we're driving up the rate of pedestrian collisions or bike accidents. Like, I'm not willing to make that trade. So Andy and Yev, two of my co-founders, Andy worked at Waymo and and Yev worked on the Argo AI project. And so they both come out of the autonomous vehicle background. And we'll come, uh, we have some applications that we're sort of, we're looking that far into the future and and I'll build up into some of those. And let's put a pin in that because we have a lot of thoughts to share. But anyway, we were looking at this data problem of this should be more accessible. And at the same time, we had this little side project going on. We were mining helium. We had deployed some helium Lorawan networks and sitting around months of, you know, hacking on ideas and exploring different ways we might get this data, thinking about things. And we sort of had the moment where we said, what if we were to merge these two ideas? And we went directly to the source, to the users who drive these cars, provided them an incentive like Helium did to plug in a piece of hardware, maintain that connection of the piece of hardware and collect the data. And we could actually start to build up this user-owned and user-generated repository of telemetry data. So that sort of just like set the wheels going and in motion for us, where we immediately started to design, how would we do this? How would we go about it? We could get 
these devices into people's cars and collect data. And if we're at it, we might as well not just do electric vehicles. We might as well do all vehicles because there's lots of valuable data on other cars as well. And people are going to convert. And by August of last year, we'd really crystallized around this idea that we were going to go directly to users, going to become the user advocate in the connected vehicle world. And we hit the ground running on, on building the version of Demo that you see today. And so you're saying I can buy the Demo device, plug it into my car. I think this is into a standard communications yep. port that all cars, at least in the United States, have to have. That's right. But it's, it's pretty standardized across the stack. And that device you all have built collects all of this telemetry data, some of which I might see in an app like the company right. provides me, but actually everything that's running through that. I think it's the CAN bus interface, if I'm remembering that's exactly correctly. Right. Is that yeah. what we plug into? Right. It's called the OBD2 port and next right to the CAN bus, we see all the CAN bus signals. Cars, modern cars today generate about 25 terabytes of data per day. Every system in the car, every system in the car is, is connected. And as these cars become more and more sophisticated, there's just tons and tons of data flowing through every single vehicle. And so every person is basically, and we talk about how valuable data is, every person is sitting on this gold mine of data in their vehicle. And right now you're left out of the loop as a user. And so what we've gone and done is we produced an initial run of this hardware and I'm hold, holding it here so you guys can see it. We are planning to open up the hardware ecosystem so that other people can produce demo compatible hardware. And that's of course part of the whole decentralization aspect of this. We've also built software connections to many vehicles. That's a very tricky, tricky enterprise as there's 27 automakers or more out there and they all have different vehicle lines and many, many, many different platforms. But what we've done is really demo is two facets. On the one side is the driver facing side, and that's we're building a uh, what we think of as the best connected vehicle application out there and something that you can use to collect your vehicle data and eventually use your vehicle data in applications and services. And on the flip side of that is we want to create an open developer platform where somebody who wants to build an application that works on a car, like say a pay-as-you-go insurance product or a refinancing product that takes into your account the health of your vehicle. We're building a developer platform where a developer can build a service that will work out of the box on any vehicle. No negotiating with Ford and Toyota and Tesla. Say, hey, can I make my stuff work on your car? Can it work on your car? Out of the box, it's going to work on Demo, which means it will work on any car that's on the network. You know, I think a couple of weeks ago, I might have said, well, who would want that? But there was actually a really interesting article that just ran in the last week I was reading it, and it was comparing the two big consumer car insurance companies and saying how Geico, you know, who's experienced huge growth, like the they called it the crown jewel in Warren Buffett's portfolio, been dominating, but didn't invest in driver telemetry, has seen a decline recently because they've actually suffered, I think, multiple quarters in a row of policy loss. And they were comparing them to Progressive, who was very early on the telemetry collection and started pricing policies with actual observed driver behavior as a key part of their offering and how Geico had kind of missed this like technology adoption cycle. So to make this real for people, rather than Geico having to go out and manufacture, develop, manufacture, certify a device like Progressive did when they started on this journey years ago, Geico could come and build on the Demo platform and you solve all of the hardware data collection connectivity pieces for them. That's exactly right. And I'll take it even a few steps further. 
where these insurance telemetry devices that have been made, they've been optimized for a single use case. We care, we're going to get the five data points that we care about, which is usually, I, I can't, I'm not going to remember them all, but it's when is the car driving? And that's actually one of the most important things to them. What time of day, hard braking, rapid acceleration, and, and a few other data points. And they ignore all of the other 99% of the valuable data that's on the car because it's application specific. And so in one sense, we've built this universal device where, great, I'm going to collect my data. And if I want to send it to Geico for a discount, cool, I can permission them to access the five data points they care about. And if the next day I want to send it to a maintenance guy, because he's going to give me a health check on my car, a hygiene check or something like that, I can permission them to see the data that they care about. And so now I have a universal sort of vehicle passport with all of my data. And specifically on the insurance side, I'll go in one other direction with this. All of those, one of the criticisms, and this happened really often earlier this year when Tesla was releasing their first insurance product, there's a lot of criticism that all of these insurance pay-as-you-go insurance models are black boxes. What are you really judging me on? And we think it would be amazing for somebody to show up and build the open source pay-as-you-go insurance model built on Demo. Here's our algorithm. Here's how you understand you know, that, that you're being treated fairly and that the heartbreaking events where you're stopping actually in a safety mode because you're preventing an issue isn't counted against you and so on and so forth. I love that concept. That's so cool. I guess there's one other aspect to this, which is, you know, in high contrast to my experience with my new Jeep, where they want to get me for $300 a year for access to a very limited set of data and controls over the car. In this case, the consumer is actually getting compensated, or that's the the long-term plan on the Demo network for participation, right? There's some element to this where you're compensated, whether it's for sharing data and simply for participating. There's also the hope that you would, using your vehicle data, find apps and services that can help reduce cost or earn you more money. So insurance is one example, but we've spoken with used car marketplaces that are extremely interested in vehicle data because they know how much it can help them determine the true value of a car. And the reality is many car marketplaces know that they're buying the occasional lemon <laughs> and everyone else's price gets hurt. So if you're somebody who's reasonably diligent about taking care of your car, you can show up with the, the records. That's going to translate to a better valuation. Carfax has been sort of positioned as that user asset for a long time. And Carfax is really proud of the fact that they see the average car seven times in its life cycle. And of course, we're collecting millions of data points about, about the car and plugging into all the computers on it and, and getting a really rich picture of the car that you, can get, that you can't get alone from the uh, service receipts. Bit of difference between 25 terabytes of data a day yeah. and s seven events over the, the lifetime of a vehicle. That's amazing. Exactly. So one question that I think a lot of people are probably asking at this point, so far the story makes a ton of sense. You've got hardware device, you've got you know a separation from the auto manufacturers. So there's some independence. It's kind of like consumer focused consumer owns the data. There is a crypto story here, right? You're yes. on the Public Key podcast. So clearly, yeah. what is the angle uh, that brings crypto into this story? Why is that necessary in the technology stack? What are you guys doing with it? It's a really great question. And it's one that we have a few answers to. And I think the least interesting answer is the one I'll, I'll jump at first, get it out of the we have seen the power of crypto tokens as a bootstrapping mechanism to get network started. And the reality is, we don't even issue a token today. And just in sort of forward leaning into that, 
we have been able to get 30,000 cars added to the platform and have a community in our Discord, 8,000 people, and have a backlog of orders to fulfill. People have pre-ordered a product. So it's a fantastic mechanism to, to rally a community. And of course, we're all sort of marveling at that in the last couple of years. But there is a lot more of an important future-looking aspect to this as well. And we've talked a little bit about sort of this independent, neutral, trusted party that we think Demo can be in the telemetry world. And we think it's going to be even more important as we enter that AV world. Today, most people have a lane keeping system or cruise control that's pretty sophisticated. And if you have one of those and you use it frequently, you've probably experienced one or two of those moments where you've said, whoa, I don't know what that thing just did. <laughs> I wasn't expecting it to do that. Like I thought it was just supposed to be hanging on, like I'm in the lane here and it's slowing me down, speeding yeah. me up. But like yeah. that felt a little bit uncomfortable what it just did. And that was the computer on the car making a decision that you don't have any insight into. And so we think that as those systems become more prevalent, a users should have a advocate and they should have the ability to store that data and access that data and understand the decisions that their car made the same way that Toyota or Jeep or whatever vehicle you drive, those people that built those and they're, you know, they are going to have access to the data on their servers. As we thought about this, and again, some of the team came out of the AV industry, we've believed for a long time that the open source aspect of what we're doing is going to be extremely critical for bringing AV technology truly deep into the world and into people's lives. And because this technology touches people's lives every single day and is so essential to their health and safety, we couldn't really fathom any other way other than building this open source. And not only have crypto tokens displayed a tremendous ability to bootstrap networks, but they've also showed this amazing promise as a means of governance and as a means of sustaining an ecosystem in a community around an ecosystem. And so for us, we're launching a governance token that's going to give the developers who are joining the network, the early adopters and the users who are contributing to the network and providing feedback, it's going to give them control over this digital infrastructure that otherwise would be in the hands of tech companies, automotive companies, or governments. And so finally, we have this mechanism, and this goes back to Bitcoin, this goes back to Ethereum, Finally, we have this mechanism that can give users leverage in the ecosystem that they never had before. And that's why we made the decision early on, hey, there's this awesome tool that can provide an incentive, but also it gives users leverage for years and years down the line. We knew that that was going to have to be an essential part of Demo if this was going to stick into the world. You know, it's interesting that that explanation resonates so much more for me than the people who are like, oh, yeah, your social media profile, like you're going to own that in Web3. You know, the way that Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook and your relationship to them and the ownership of data or content that's produced there has never really struck me as like a good reason that we need to change the way, the status quo. But what you're talking about here with the data coming off the cars, to me, there's a much bigger value to have this kind of shared commons capacity. And I like the nature of the opt-in and contribution model and the, the open source elements that you described. Like that to me is maybe one of the best Web3 use cases that we've encountered this year on the podcast, actually. Thanks. That's awesome. And, and I'll say, you know, like you, you mentioned sharing data. Our hope is that if somebody just likes the idea of saving down their own data and they don't want to share it, I don't want my data out there. Demo, it's cool that you can help go sell my data, but we're actually not interested in that. Great. You should have something like this in your car anyway, because sooner or later, if you're driving a new car around, that the computers on that car are going to make a decision that 
you are going to need a reference and you're going to want a copy of. Now, some questions kind of like on the on the tech level. So you guys are planning to launch on Polygon. Is that yes. is that still the plan? That is still the plan. Talk through that decision. Like, how did you arrive at Polygon? I think they had some huge news this week, like Starbucks launched. So you're obviously in good company there yeah. on Polygon. But what was the process that led you to that network over any of the other choices that are out there? Yeah, I'll try to bring you down the decision tree as best as I, I can remember it. <laughs> you know, the first decision that you have to make when you're doing this is, do we go to an existing blockchain or do we build our own? One of the projects, I mentioned them before, that we followed in the footsteps of tremendously is Helium, pioneers in this space of the sort of physical infrastructure, uh, crypto network. And they had made the decision, they were doing this in about 2013, 2014. So they were, there wasn't as many options to just like go launch your thing on somebody else's blockchain. They built their own blockchain. And it's been one of the sources of friction for them and, and really just tech debt for them over the last few years. And that came to a head recently where they voted to go and move to Solana. So early on, we said that building your own blockchain is tough, adds years to the go to market cycle. We're going to skip that. We want to go to market fast. Let's go see what's out there. Makes a ton of sense. We just had the CEO, co-founder of DWallet Labs on, who were doing some really neat stuff on the wallet side, kind of fully programmable wallets. But part of their architecture involves creating a new O1 blockchain. And I was like, love the wallet tech. Got to understand how you arrived at this decision to build your own L1 chain. It turns out it's technically necessary for what they're doing. So probably difficult but needed choice they made, but totally get where you're going and and there yeah, might be a world where we come back to our own app chain. This is something that we are looking at down the line. It might make sense. But in terms of going to market fast and sort of punting on some of the technical challenges that don't help us validate the like product market fit side on the you know user front, it made sense for us to join an ecosystem. And as we looked at sort of the greater, the great ecosystems out there, Ethereum made the most sense to us to just be in the EVM world. Uh, we just see the most wallet share there, the most developer share there, the most built out governance tools. There was just, there's just kind of the furthest along. And within the Ethereum ecosystem, you've got a bunch of options. There's different L1s and different L2s. And what appealed to us most about Polygon was one, obviously low fees, although most of the other options other than mainnet have that, but also just like the richness of their products. There's privacy tools, there's supernets, there's all these other, you know, they have their own SDK if you want to launch an app chain in their world. We were really sort of impressed with that. And it felt like as there's so much year to year, maybe not volatility is the right word, although there's plenty of that. <laughs> year to year, there's so much sort of shifting landscape in the in the L1 world, L2 world. It felt like just how many different products they're producing, how fast that team moves. It, we would have a lot of options and sort of forward-looking compatibility. And we also love their kind of sustainability mission. Polygon's very big on that. You mentioned the Starbucks news. They're doing a ton of great work on bringing enterprises into the blockchain space, which is something that's going to be critical to us. And we felt really aligned just overall with their mission, bring the next billion people to crypto. And there's a lot of interesting things that we want to do with them. It's interesting to hear you describe it both, you know, initially in the technical decision making process, like speed to market, right. and then also in the, the relationship and aligned philosophy. Like at the end of the it day, all matters. We're, all, we're all building here, right? It's not purely uh, transactions per second doesn't dictate the entire decision tree here. Yeah. And I've seen, I don't know, maybe I've been in the crypto space long enough and seen enough of the, here's our new chain and all the PhDs that have contributed to it and cryptography experts and 
and and even before this is certainly not a crypto thing the best tech just often doesn't win (laughs) and so people might quibble with uh you know whose tech is better and these new guys or have the greatest thing but we felt like not only was there great tech behind it all of course on the polygon side but just great value alignment too I know there's some former Chainalysis people hanging over oh, yeah. on team too. So there's probably some good collaboration happening there. I also saw something, and I don't totally understand, NFTs play a role in, mm. in the vision here a little bit. What's going on with NFTs inside of this platform? Am, am I like deploying my board ape to uh, <laughs> to the demo device or what's Well, what's first, congrats on the board ape. I, <laughs> no, no. Uh, that was theoretical. I don't actually I know. I know. I'm kidding. Ape. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, as I was talking about the why crypto part of this, I didn't get around to even this other aspect, which is... Crypto's also shown this really powerful capacity to just create a great developer platform. I mean, all the tools are out in public and the standards are there. And as far as bootstrapping, not just the user side, but the developer side, crypto has, has shown ability to do that. One of the things that we're doing, which we think is really novel and needed, is creating a vehicle identity on-chain. It's very similar and people have been trying to crack the idea of, oh, on-chain personal identity for years and years and years, way before we were talking about soulbound tokens. There were dozens of teams trying to do the on-chain personal identity. And it's pretty amazing. Like when a car rolls out of the factory, the OEM really loses track of the car. They don't really know what's happening with it and when it changed hands. And One of the analogies I often use for people in the crypto world about the automotive space is that it actually looks and feels very much like the financial world in how fragmented it is and how siloed the data is. So the financial world, you know, you've got all these different banks and custodians and stock markets and, you know, all the variety of financial institutions. Ethereum comes along and says, you can build all that stuff on one layer and the data can flow and the transactions of value can flow. The automotive world looks the same way. You've got this single unit, a car, that whether you're an OEM or a dealer or an insurance company or uh, a maintenance company, you have a different definition of that car. And we don't all have the same way of referring to the same car on an open database to say, this is a Toyota RAV4, this is a Jeep Wagoneer, the VIN number is XYZ. We all know we're talking about the same car here and have the same record, right? And so we thought that that was a really powerful step forward to take. And in fact, it's something that the industry has thought about for years and years and good luck trying to rally 30 different automakers to all agree and use the same standard. (laughs) So we said, you know what, we're just going to do it. We're going to take this open source technology that already exists, the NFT, and we're going to use that to create the digital representation of your car. So what does that mean? It's not just, NFTs are not just JPEGs. It's not just a picture. You can actually append as much data as you want to that car. So today we're appending a, a bunch of traits to the vehicle. So if you mint, as I have, I've minted my Toyota RAV4 as, a, as an NFT, I can go on to OpenSea, I can look at it. The make is Toyota, the model is RAV4, the year is 2022. And over time, we're going to continue to append data. That'll be the telematics data, the metadata, like title and registration. And that's how the user will actually be in control of their own data. They'll own that NFT in their wallet. They'll hold it there. And they will be able to to permission the companies that they want to access certain parts of that data. And so yet again, we see sort of one of these crypto innovations that looks very much like a toy, as they say, or or as fun and games. But it has this real utility in terms of being able to get disparate partners to agree on what exactly we're defining when we're talking about a specific vehicle. It's this vehicle, this make and model with this data attached to it. And I think the important part of this concept was there where it's appending data about the vehicle beyond the 
final step of manufacturing, like after it rolls off the assembly line, because there is a database that all these VIN numbers get stored in. Like if you've ever added a vehicle to an insurance policy, or even if you go to like Kelly Blue Book to check like resale value of a car you own, you put in the VIN number, it knows most of the like features that are on the vehicle. It certainly knows the make model, trim level. It's got some of that basic data, but being able to add to that telematics, accurate odometer reading, tire pressure, I don't know why you'd want tire pressure on the blockchain, but in theory, like any of that data for that life cycle purpose and maybe representing that for resale, that is actually fascinating and makes it a really interesting case for why you would want to create that. So when I go to sign up for Demo, that process of car enrollment allows me to mint this token that's uniquely associated to my vehicle. Right. Once you've connected your vehicle, whether that's through software, if that's option is available or via pairing the hardware, you then have the option to actually mint the vehicle. And just a tiny clarifying point, we actually don't put all of the data on chain. Most of it's stored off chain, moving into IPFS and all that good stuff, decentralized storage, just because, yeah, you, you don't need to put the tire pressure on chain. And as we said, 25 terabytes a day. There isn't a blockchain in the world that's gonna <laughs> that you could store that on. So it's great for pointing out to the data and representing the ownership and sort of having this bearer asset. But yeah, you're not you, we're not storing the data there. <laughs> that was gonna be one of my next questions. That makes a ton of sense. Maybe one last question because I know we're running sure. out of time. Vehicle theft seems like a problem that should have been solved a long time ago. Like <laughs> as cars became electronic, it seems like it would be easy to defeat most attempts at theft, but. I still see videos on YouTube of people who have figured out how to defeat most like electronic stability control systems. And there's obviously companies like Lojack who are trying to put tracking technology so when they are stolen, they can be collected. Is there an angle here that Demo plays? Maybe not at launch, but over, over the fullness of time. What do you guys think? Yeah, there's certainly a bunch of different ways we could approach that problem. The device has GPS in it, unless the thief is smart enough to rip out the device. And you know, at least you get some GPS capabilities from that. And certainly, I think some thieves will figure that one out. <laughs> right now, we are focused. We do allow you to lock or unlock your car. Not all cars. It kind of depends on whether the functionality is available for your vehicle. But over time, it's very. you have to be very careful about getting into the, like, can we shut down the car remotely kind of game. That's certainly something that, that could play into things later on. And if you want to like put your Web3 hat on and think about it like this, there's probably not an individual who's like signing a transaction to tell the car to pull over and stop and turn off. <laughs> it's probably a multi-sig of some kind where like you need authority is involved. But certainly the LoJack could be built or we could go partner with LoJack and say, hey, we've got devices in 3,000 cars. You want to you wanna make that an app on Demo and let everyone sign up? I mean, th yeah. those sorts of applications are very possible and you know, are, are some of the things that we hope to see in the ecosystem. It seems like the possibilities are endless here. Any last like things that are coming down uh, in the near future, roadmap items you want to highlight before we let you go? Roadmap items. Well, before I even get there, I'll make sure that everyone knows where demo.zone, very unique domain name. The app is live. People can go and download it. The best way right now, we'll put up some public pages where people can make this determination a little more easily. Best way to figure out if you can connect your car or how to is just to add it to the app and that'll tell you. Some of the things that we're most excited about right now, today, we don't store individual trips for users. That's going to be the biggest single feature that we're most excited about in the last remaining months of this year. That will go out the door. And we have both a lot of 
very utilitarian uses for something like that, where, hey, I own a fleet, a small business, I want to know where my cars went and where they drove. Uh, maybe I'm just a user and I want to see, you know, I want to highlight a cool road trip I took. And there's going to be a lot of fun stuff and social stuff that comes out of that where people can mint their road trip as an NFT. Or we work with a lot of gearheads in the community, people who take their nice car to the track or, you know, drive rally. And they're like, yeah, it would be sweet if I have this permanent digital collection of the track drives that I've done and we can share them and swap them. And we think that it's going to open up yet a really another important way for people who have this strong affinity and strong connection to their car, which so many people do, to start to feel that footprint in their digital world as well. Because the connected vehicle experiences from the OEMs are so lacking, we think we can start to give people a really, you know, not just utilitarian, but also start to have that like real true relationship that many people have with their car that have a digital facet as well. I'm looking forward to it. I'm ordering my Demo hardware device as we speak. It's on my list of things to get done this weekend. <laughs> Store uh, will open very soon. <laughs> all right. So I, I want to get my hands on one of those. We're going to link to uh, your website, where to get to the app, and a bunch of other information in the show notes. Alex, this has been a lot of fun. I'm glad we finally got you on the podcast. It's been awesome. Thank you for having me on. Hey there. Thanks for listening to another episode of Public Key. If you're enjoying the show, leave us a review, or better yet, send me a message on Twitter. I'm at Ian Andrews DC, or you can message the at Chainalysis handle and let us know what you think of the show. Last thing for today, we just dropped our annual report on global crypto adoption. In nearly 100 pages of detail, we get into grassroots adoption around the world. Are you interested in payments using Bitcoin in Africa, or remittances to Latin America, or DeFi usage in Southeast Asia? then this report is for you. Head to the link in the show notes and download your copy of the report today.